Hey guys, I'm Katie. And I'm Rebecca. And this is Chills. Thrills. And Kills. So today, Katie, I'm going to tell you a story that surprisingly doesn't involve murder. Oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, like it kind of does in a weird roundabout way, but I don't go in depth on it at all. Interesting. All right. Something new. I like it. Yes, but it will be full of a fuck ton of mispronunciations by me, probably, so sorry in advance. (sighs) Great. Yeah, I tried looking them up, but I still have to say them after I look them up, so do with that what you will. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so on the morning of August 23rd, 1973... An escaped convict by the name of Jean-Eric Olson, who had disappeared during a furlough from prison, entered a busy bank in Sweden's capital in the upscale, here we go, (laughs) Normalmstorg Square. Ooh, that was a mouthful. (laughs) Hmm. The bank was Svetius Kreditbanken. Whoa. (laughs) So, Olsen is described as tall, muscular, he wore makeup, a feminine wig, and a pair of sunglasses. Okay. (laughs) Although, one article I found said he was wearing a mask, so. All right. Yeah, who knows. Upon entering the bank, he revealed a loaded submachine gun and fired at the ceiling. Unexpected. (laughs) (laughs) A little, yeah. Uh, As he did this, he disguised his voice to sound American and yelled in English, either the party has just begun. Okay. Or the party starts, depending on how you translate. (laughs) All right. Way to make an entrance. Yeah. I mean, he kind of made himself sound like a frat boy douche bro who needed more money for beer, but... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, No big deal. (laughs) A silent alarm was then triggered by an employee, and one police officer was surprisingly quick to respond. When they did, they were wounded by a bullet. I couldn't find any information on where they were wounded. Um, I believe it might have been in the arm. Okay, so nothing major. Yeah, nothing, I mean, getting shot is pretty major, but nothing life-threatening. Okay. The robber then took four bank employees as hostages. Three were women and one was a male. That was a weird way to say that. I don't... (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) When negotiating with police, Olsen demanded three million Swedish crowns, which an article I read said is a... Four million US dollars today, although there were varying sums like amounts thrown at me, so who knows? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, some said like around seven hundred thousand, others said four million, and I'm just like, I don't know what's happening. I mean, that's not a big difference or anything. I mean, I'm assuming so I'm assuming the ones that said seven hundred thousand was referring to it would have been seven hundred thousand US dollars back in what is it 1973 mm-hmm. um 
And then four million is like paired for inflation, I'm assuming. Mm, sounds about right. Yeah, that's probably that's just my guess, you guys. I didn't do the math because I can't math. So <laughs> anyways, so he demanded three million Swedish crowns, a getaway car and the release of a friend, Clark Olafsson, who had once been described by a reporter as a scruffy Scandinavian mixture of Jesse James and Warren Beatty. Okay. <laughs> yes. So he demanded his friend's release from prison. Okay. Olafsson had been serving time for armed robbery and accessory to murder in the case of a 1966 killing of a police officer. Olsen and Olafsson had met during their prison stays at the Anstalten Kalmar. Ooh. And I know, I just, I keep doing this to myself. <laughs> you do, but okay, you're doing great. <laughs> Thanks. And Olsen and, Ola, uh, and Olsen found himself fascinated with Clark's criminal past as a bank robber. Hmm. Earlier in January of the same year, so 1973, Olsen had actually attempted to rescue Olafsson from prison. And yes, those names are really fucking close and throw through me my entire research. <laughs> but inevitably, this little rescue attempt failed. So one of them, I'm not sure which, had smuggled some dynamite into the prison. And while on furlough, Olsen sat in a car just outside the prison while Olafsson attempted and failed to detonate the dynamite, blowing up the wall to assail. So... Wow. First of all, I don't even know want to know how he smuggled that in. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. <laughs> yeah. So they're very obsessed with getting Olafsson out, it would seem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For that reason, Olafsson's freedom was demanded. Well, today, obviously, that demand would be scoffed at. Uh, in 1973 Sweden, police actually complied and within hours, Olafsson was delivered to Olsen at the bank. Okay. <laughs> Which, can we just comment on the fact that there's an insane person with a submachine gun holding four people hostage in a bank vault, and they just allowed another convict to get, like, to join him in the bank vault? What? Seems legit. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> wow, I really hope somebody's barbecuing outside because it smells like fire. Oh, God, please don't. Yeah, now I'm going to be on edge. Okay. <laughs> you and I both. <laughs> God, and it is just pouring right into this closet. Great. That Maybe you should check on that. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> oh, God. And this episode. <laughs> and this episode, you get to listen to Rebecca burn to death. Yikes. <laughs> Tell me about it. All right. With Olafsson was also the ransom and a blue Ford Mustang with a full tank of gas. Wow. Very specific. Yeah. While I was researching, I just, I had to have a giggle and I'm just like, okay, so was the negate, was the negotiation sponsored by Ford or did a police officer lose their <laughs> midlife crisis gift to themselves? <laughs> well, not only that, he's in, um, where is he? Sweden. Where is, so he's in Sweden. So how hard was it to find that specific American made vehicle? 
That's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm sure there's not just – he must have seen someone driving one of those. And he was like, that one. That, that one. I need that one. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> the one way in which the police refused to comply, which I'm surprised they refused anything because what – was when Olsen demanded to leave with the hostages in tow to ensure safety for he and Olafsson. Wow, so they didn't draw the line at uh, releasing a convicted criminal, but okay, got it. Yeah, yeah, not at all. (laughs) So, and this is probably the funniest part of this entire thing. Those who were watching the news began to flood police headquarters because, as you can imagine, this was a big to-do. Mm-hmm. So they began to flood the police headquarters with, frankly, hilarious ideas on how to end the standoff. Okay, I'm ready for this. <laughs> These ideas ranged from a concert of religious tunes all the way down to <laughs> all the way down to sending in a swarm of angry bees <laughs> to sting the men into surrender. Oh my god. Jesus Christ. I just... What? Like, not only are you going to probably kill the men, but also the hostages as well. And those poor bees. Jesus. (laughs) Just... Good God. All right. So I thought that was really funny. That was was pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't find any others that were like any other suggestions specifically, which made me really sad because I just wanted to list a whole fuck ton of them. But would have got would it would it have gotten much better better than that one? <laughs> you know, I will never underestimate the stupidity of human beings, so probably. <laughs> mm, that's that's a pretty good uh pretty good thing to go off of because as we've seen lately there's a lot of stupid humans (laughs) yes there are so obviously none of those suggestions were an option and the standoff (laughs) continued with the two convicts and four hostages holed up inside a bank vault fun yeah interestingly enough though the hostages and robbers quickly began to form a close bond when hostage Kristen and mark began to shiver Olsen actually draped a warm jacket over her shoulders. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> he soothed her when she awoke from her sleep after having a bad dream. Oh, I mean, was she dreaming about being held hostage from a bank robber? I mean, come on now. Nah, that makes too much <laughs> sense. That makes way too much sense, Katie. I think it was, I think she forgot to do her homework and she showed up to school without pants. Uh, that's gotta be it. Yeah, it makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then he went so far as to give her one of his bullets as a keepsake. What the fuck? Okay. Another captive, Birgitta Lundblad, was consoled when she couldn't reach her family on the phone and was told, try again, don't give up. Oh my goodness. Okay. Another hostage, Elizabeth Oldgren, began to experience claustrophobia. Olsen had a solution for that, though. He allowed Oldgren to walk outside the vault attached to a 30-foot rope. Where did the rope come from? (laughs) 
I picture the Boondock Saints moment where the two men are arguing over why the fuck are you going to need a rope? And then they propel themselves down from the ceiling. Okay. Oh, but when are you going to need a rope? (laughs) All the time. All the time. (laughs) Yes. Have you seen Boondock Saints? Yes. Okay, cool. Just making sure that didn't go over your head. No, uh, my family is very, very Irish, and it is watched every St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> that is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> a year after the standoff, Oldsgren actually told The New Yorker that despite being on a literal leash, I remember thinking he was very kind to allow me to leave the vault. Delusional, but Okay. Mm-hmm. Sven Safstrom, the only male hostage, said, when he treated us well, we could think of him as an emergency god. What? Mm-hmm. What is it? Um, is it Stockholm Syndrome? Shh. Because <laughs> that's what it sounds like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> By the second day, due to Olsen's... The hostages and their two captors were on a first-name basis. Of course they were. It was at this point that the four captives became more afraid of the police than they were of their captors. Oh, my God. Yeah, so while this whole hostage situation is beginning to sound like a really high-stakes summer camp at the moment, Mm -hmm. it was really anything but that. While inside the vault, the hostages were psychologically tortured with nooses and dynamite. Scary. Yeah, I'm really not a fan of that. No, but Homeboy doesn't really have the best luck with dynamite, so... Yeah, so maybe they'd be fine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Also, can you just imagine the tinnitus after having dynamite go off in a vault? Oh my god. (laughs) I did not even think about that. I'm just hearing mop, 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 just in my head right now. Scary. Gotta love Archer. (laughs) I watch too much TV, you guys. I don't know if you can tell. (laughs) On one phone call with the prime minister, Olsen threatened to kill the hostages, backing up the threat by grabbing one in a stranglehold. Oh, okay. (laughs) She could be heard screaming before he hung up. Scary. Just a little. After this, Olafsson, so the other guy, calmly walked around the vault singing, Killing Me Softly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Which is just... All right. I really, like, I really want to know how the hostages feel anytime they hear that song, you know? Yeah, and that song's been done so many different times, so it probably plays very often. (laughs) I mean, probably. I imagine it would be kind of like, well, okay, I can't imagine because of everything that goes down with this. But, like, I feel like it would be a lot like the survivors of the Titanic anytime that one song plays. Oh, God. Probably. At one point, police ended up drilling a hole into the main vault through the ceiling because there was apparently an apartment above this bank, which I think is just poor planning, but... Agreed. <laughs> you know, whatever. That's that's fine. That's what the rope's for. <laughs> okay. All right. Makes sense. 
Olafsson did this twice, but during one of these times, Olafsson shot into the hole, and when he did, he wounded a police officer in the hand and the face. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shortly after that, Enmark, the hostage that was given the bullet, called the Swedish prime minister, whose name is Olaf Palma, because there weren't enough OL names in here, <laughs> to plead with him, asking permission for the robbers to take her with them in the escape car. She stated, I fully trust Clark, Olafson, and the robber. I am not desperate. They haven't done a thing to us. On the contrary, they have been very nice. But you know, Olaf, what I'm scared of is that the police will attack and cause us to die. Because that's logical, but okay. Mm -hmm. When the police commissioner was allowed to enter the vault to check the condition of the hostages, which took place shortly after that phone call, he noticed that they appeared more hostile to, to the police commissioner than they did with their abductors. In fact, they appeared to be relaxed and even jolly with the two men. <sighs> of course they did. <laughs> it's because of this that they began to suspect that the gunmen wouldn't hurt the hostages, though they were still somewhat concerned about it. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, no physical harm was done to the hostages, and on August 28th, five days after the hostage situation began, the police pumped tear gas into the vault. Yikes. Now, they did this despite a threat made by Olsen to kill the hostages if any gas attack was attempted. At the beginning of the gas attack, so as the canisters are being thrown in, Olsen threatened to shoot hostage Safström in the leg to shake up the police. When recounting the experience to the New Yorker, he said, How kind I thought he was for saying it was just my leg he would shoot. Okay. <laughs> and Mark, again, the one who was given the bullet, even tried to convince Sastrom to agree to being shot, stating, but Sven, it's just in the leg. Okay. <laughs> After more than 130 hours, the standoff was finally over. The police demanded the hostages leave the vault first, but the captives had actually refused. They responded that the robbers should leave first, as they knew the second they no longer held hostages, the men would be gunned down by police. Okay. As the men and hostages exited the vault, they all embraced, kissed, and shook hands. Like it was a play or something. Okay. <laughs> or something. Upon their arrest, two of the female hostages begged the police not to hurt the men as, and I quote, they didn't harm us. While Enmark was wheeled away in a stretcher, she shouted back to Olafsson, Clark, I will see you again. And there goes the Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, police as well as the public were completely baffled by the relationships that had been formed, and police began to investigate whether or not Enmark had actually plotted the robbery with them. Mm-hmm. The captives were honestly a little confused as well. One, Oldgren, the one who was put on a fucking leash, went so far as to ask a psychiatrist if there was something wrong with her due to the fact that she didn't hate them. There is. <laughs> Psychiatrists compared the behavior to wartime shell shock exhibited by soldiers and stated that the hostages became emotionally indebted to their captors 
because they ultimately spared them death as they'd had plenty of opportunity to kill each and every one of them. Okay. Now, this same sense of indebtedness didn't happen with the police because the victims felt no fear from their captors, and therefore the ending of their captivity served as nothing more than basically allowing them to go outside. Okay. Within months of the event, psychiatrists began to refer to this strange phenomena as Stockholm Syndrome. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding! (laughs) Yeah. There's a super complicated Swedish word for this, but... um, yeah, I wasn't going to try to play, try to pronounce it. <laughs> it's basically like a combination of the town name mixed with um, the Swedish word for symptom or syndrome. But I, yeah, no. <laughs> okay, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I could find no pronunciation of it. Even after Olafsson and Olsen returned to prison, the former hostages made recurring visits to the men. They all refused to testify against them and actually went so far as to begin raising money for their defense. Oh, my God. I just I can't I can't handle these people. (laughs) (laughs) Olafson's conviction was eventually overturned by an appeals court, which kind of makes sense to me, because when you think about it, he was brought there as like a bargaining chip. But Olsen spent seven years in prison before his release in 1980. Okay. After gaining back his freedom, Olsen married one of many women who sent him fan mail while in prison. Fan mail? Oh my god. Gotta love charmers. He moved to Thailand, where he lived for 15 years with his wife and son, running a supermarket. In 2009, he released an autobiography entitled Stockholm Syndrome. Okay. (laughs) He has since returned to Helsingborg, where he is now retired. Olsen has openly apologized for the hostage situation and has shown remorse for his actions as a habitual offender. He has not since been convicted of any other crimes. Well, that's good. Yeah. Uh, So I felt like I should go a little bit into Stockholm Syndrome now, which was kind of why I liked this case, because history. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, So psychologists have found that different people will have different causes that can lead to Stockholm Syndrome and that there's no way to completely prevent it, but that the best ways to attempt prevention falling into this is to keep from trying to think from the captor's perspective. Once hostages start to panic and look for various ways to free themselves, they kind of begin to overthink, and that could lead to analyzing the captor's circumstances that led to the situation, which means they're far more relatable to you and you're much easier to sympathize, so... Yikes. (laughs) Yikes is right. (laughs) Yeah. Furthermore, as more time is spent together in isolation, the mind may actually begin to frame them in a better light and a positive emotion towards them may develop because they're the only contact you have. Mm -hmm. So your prevention or protection from your mind. Yay. (laughs) Researchers from the Virginia Commonwealth University attempted an experiment in the early 1980s to attempt to recreate this. Now, obviously, because you're off, you're under controlled conditions, it can be very, very difficult to recreate Stockholm Syndrome. But the experiment actually legitimized Stockholm Syndrome as not only a normal response to captivity, 
but also a practical one. Some psychologists believe that Stockholm Syndrome is more likely in situations where the captors don't actually physically harm you, but instead threaten to. Okay. (laughs) Because like we see in Hollywood movies everywhere, when somebody threatens you saying, hey, if you don't do this, I'm going to do this to you, you're a lot more likely to be like, okay. Very true. Uh, Most psychologists and psychiatrists believe that Stockholm Syndrome is a response created by survival instinct, which, like, duh. (laughs) Yeah. Essentially, to protect yourself emotionally, you may become attached to your captor, but it's also a way for you to try and make your captors emotionally attached to you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Which would make it less likely, obviously, that they would do anything to you. Um, Stockholm Syndrome occurs when the decision to try and make them more attached to you isn't a choice you make, but it just happens subconsciously. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Sorry, guys, if you hear any scratching in the background of me talking, that would be my cat. I was about to say, what the hell was that? But I didn't want to cut you off. (laughs) No worries, it's Astara. Because of course it is. Uh, Um, Several cases of Stockholm Syndrome have made headlines since, including, but definitely not limited to. So some prisoners of the Korean War began to work in tandem with their Chinese and North Korean captors. When the war was over, one British and 21 American soldiers who had been held captive ultimately ended up moving to communist China rather than returning. Mm. (laughs) No comment on that one, but okay. All right. (laughs) One of the most high-profile cases of the 20th century was that of Patty Hearst, who had been kidnapped and held captive by a group known as the Symbionese... I didn't look this up. Sorry, guys. The Symbionese Liberation Army. She was left isolated, constantly threatened, as well as sexually abused by her captives. But eventually, she changed her name and became a supporter of the group's cause and was arrested and charged with participation in an armed robbery of a bank after spending 19 months with the group. 19 months? Yeah, that's a long fucking time. Yeah, it is. So it should be noted that she was eventually pardoned of her participation in the crimes because at first they tried to, um, with that case, they were just saying, oh, she was brainwashed instead of actually using the term Stockholm syndrome. So then they looked at it through the lens of Stockholm syndrome and she was eventually pardoned by whoever was president at the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also speculated that Elizabeth Smart may have even been a victim of Stockholm syndrome. I've heard that before. Like mm-hmm. almost every single time I've heard her case, I've heard that. Yeah. Which I believe I read in an article, I don't recall, so don't quote me on it, but I believe she actually said it wasn't Stockholm Syndrome, but she waited so long to escape out of fear Mm -hmm. rather than Stockholm Syndrome. So, just putting all the facts out there. Um, Obviously, there are many, 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 many more instances of cases involving Stockholm Syndrome, but many critics actually believe the term itself is problematic, and a lot of people believe that it's a myth. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think? Um, 
So I've talked to someone who, like, personally that suffered from Stockholm Syndrome, and I could definitely see why people would think that it's a myth, um, because I kind of thought that too (laughs) until I talked to someone who actually suffered from Stockholm Syndrome, and it's, I don't know, it's kind of hard to explain, but I feel like that's the same thing as people thinking Tourette Syndrome is a myth. Yeah. So, eh. (laughs) I definitely believe it's a thing. The mind is a crazy, fucked up place that we Mm -hmm. still don't even understand like 10% of, you guys. Yes. So part of the reason people find this term to be problematic is because there are no true definitions for it. It's too ambiguous, and it fails to account for the unique circumstances encountered in each individual case. Because how could you? Obviously, it's going to vary depending on the person's upbringing and then the exact situation in which they're held captive. So it's really difficult to account for every single one. Mm -hmm. According to Emory University clinical psychologist Nadine Caslow, there is very little evidence to sort of validate that Stockholm Syndrome exists. It's mostly talked about in the media. Mm. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just... Maybe it's just not, I don't know, maybe it's not researched enough because, of course, people who have Stockholm Syndrome don't realize they have Stockholm Syndrome, so maybe there's just not enough cases to prove it? I don't know. (laughs) Well, there's that, but then there's also a lot of times when you're researching, like when you're doing clinical studies and you're actually looking into the subject, you have to recreate it which they've only been able to somewhat successfully do once. Mm -hmm. Because if you know you're going in with people who aren't actually holding you captive, you're you're not going to experience true Stockholm Syndrome. You're just not. Yeah. So there's no real way, as far as I'm aware, again, I'm not a scientist by any stretch, but... As far as I'm aware, there's just no way for you to recreate it enough to get a full study done on it. Yeah, unless scientists are just out there kidnapping people as part of a study. <laughs> um, in other countries they do, but we're not going to go into that. <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Luke was filling me in on quite a few things going on in the world right now today, and I'm just like, hey. (sighs) Nice. Yes. But so that, guys, is the case that inspired the creation, or not really the creation, but the naming of Stockholm Syndrome. Very interesting. Yeah. So I hope you guys enjoyed it and uh, let us know 100% what you guys think. Do you think it's real? Do you think it's real in some cases, but a lot of people fake it? Um, Do you think it's all a crock of shit? (laughs) Yeah. And um, best case of Stockholm Syndrome that pretty much everybody knows of is Harley Quinn and the Joker. So if you're unsure exactly of what Stockholm Syndrome is, even though Rebecca did a wonderful job of explaining it, just look at that. Well, thank you. And um, look at the movies, not the comic books, because the comic books are completely different. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Stuart and I were just talking about this. (laughs) Oh, my God. So the way they fucked over Harley Quinn's character pisses me off as far as the movies are concerned. 
Yeah. And it makes me really mad how people glorify Harley Quinn and the Joker's relationship because in the comic books, Harley Quinn's a badass who leaves her abuser and is just... She was supposed to be a portrayal of domestic violence and why you should leave it and all of those things. And Hollywood fucked it. Most definitely, especially with the Suicide Squad movies. Oh, God. Let's not even talk about those. Those just don't exist to me. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) (sighs) Anyways, guys, we are going now that we've just derailed everything. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. All right. Hi everyone, it's Emily from the Students' Verdict podcast. We're a new, bi-weekly podcast covering true crime cases, some you might not have heard of. So far we've covered cases such as The Monster of Worcester and The Disappearance of Marlene Oakes. The Students' Verdict is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play and Spreaker. Also, find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube and Facebook. And remember to keep living the dream. Hey, Rebecca, guess what? What? I got my heathen hippo candle in the mail today. Really? So did I. Yeah, so I got the fireside scent, and it is literally my favorite thing in the world right now. I got my white tea and fig scent, and same. Yeah, they're amazing. Not to mention, our cute little logo looks so good on the front of this candle. I 100% agree, and I just... I don't know. I want to send one to everyone. (laughs) Same. They're super affordable. They're natural because they're made out of soy. And because they're made out of soy and they're natural, they burn evenly. There's no lingering smoky smell. And they even use my favorite wood wicks. Yeah. So that nice little crackle. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Especially with Fireside. I imagine that would be so nice. Yeah, it's literally like I'm sitting next to a campfire in my cramped little studio. It's perfect. (laughs) I love it. So, guys, if you want one, there are nine fragrances, five customizable font options, or you can get some of their really fun standard label options. They have some Joe Exotic ones that are calling my name. So if you want to buy some of these adorable, affordable candles, go to Heathen Hippo on Etsy. And you can use our little code, CTKPOD, and save 10%. Yeah, so uh, literally not seeing any reason you shouldn't do that. So head on over right now. Like, right now. Right now, do it. (laughs) And we're back. We are back. Men in Black back in action. <laughs> okay. I don't I don't even like those movies. I don't know what I'm saying at this point. It's just really hot. <laughs> it's it's great. Okay. Well, I'm just going to get started so we can get you out of that 900 degree temperature. <laughs> no, nah, it's fine. I'm just going to Don't worry. I'm just melting. It's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to be covering the Moundsville Penitentiary. Okay, so Moundsville Penitentiary is also known as the West Virginia State Prison. Hi, Dominique. (laughs) What is it with you in West Virginia? Can we just, like, address that real quick? I don't know. It was on my list, and there's just a lot of really 
interesting, creepy shit that happens in West Virginia. Okay, but, like, come on. (laughs) It's only my second... Is it my second West Virginia story? Yeah, but I did one, too. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, I think the Joe Metheny was in partly in West Virginia, too. God damn it. (laughs) I don't know. I guess we're just obsessed with Dominique. It's fine. (laughs) I mean, she is amazing. So... (laughs) Okay, so... Anyways, anyways, girl crush aside, continue. (laughs) So the prison was established in 1866 at 818 Jefferson Avenue, Moundsville, West Virginia. The prison... The prison. Prison! Prison! They were were patrolling the prison. I quit. <laughs> this is the second time in a row you've said that. <laughs> they were patrolling the Paranorman Prigion. <laughs> you don't say, you say Paranorma. Paranorma Bates. <laughs> Paranorma Prigion. Wonderful. <sighs> oh, okay. boy. Let's try this again. The prison was designed <laughs> in the Gothic Revival style of act. I almost said acupuncture. <laughs> yes, acupuncture. Oh, I hate myself. I wish I could say English is not my first language, a la Christine, but it is my only language, so sorry. Same, which is why I suck at pronouncing Swedish thing. Yeah. <laughs> so the prison was designed in the Gothic Revival style of architecture. Bam, nailed it. which was popular from 1840 until the late 1880s. The design of the prison follows the design of the Illinois State Prison, which is located in uh, Juliet, Juliet, Illinois. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. The prison was approved after being denied several times on February 7th, 1866. At that time, Governor Arthur Borman was granted the approval to purchase land in Moundsville, West Virginia, to construct the prison for $3,000. Wow, you couldn't construct shit for that now. No, maybe a teepee? (laughs) Maybe, like a a really high-scale hipster teepee. There you go. (laughs) $3,000 is almost what I paid for my first car, so... Yeah, $3,000 is not much now, but anyway. Nope, it is nothing. Continue. (laughs) This land was about 12 miles outside of what then was the state capital, uh, which was Wheeling, West Virginia. Before the site was approved, prisoners were sent to county jails, which quickly became overcrowded and offered inadequate resources for what West Virginia needed during that time. They must have had a shit ton of prisoners. It wasn't until nine inmates escaped that legislator. Oh my god. I'm so angry with myself right now. I love it. It makes me feel better about my pronunciation, so. I recently started with a new medication, and I've noticed it, like, my mouth spews the words faster than I'm processing them. Oh boy. (sighs) So annoying. Anyway. It wasn't until nine inmates escaped that legislature, legislature, oh my God, took action. (laughs) 
Made out of hand-cut stone, the North Wagon Gate was the first building that was constructed on the prison's grounds. The prison was built using prison labor, and the prisoners worked in all conditions through the first phase of construction, which concluded in 1876. At the end of this phase, the total cost of construction was $363,061. This included the before-mentioned North Wagon Gate and North and South Cell Block, of which both measured 300 feet by 52 feet. The South Hall contained a total of 224 cells, which were 7 foot by 4 foot. The North Hall included a kitchen with attached dining area, a chapel, and a hospital. There was also a four-story tower included, which housed the administrative building. It also included space for the warden and his family, as well as female inmates. So I never get why the warden lives on prison grounds. Is that still a thing? I I don't think so. Uh, I just, I imagine it was because they had less people back then. Mm -hmm. So it was like they didn't have as many guards Throughout, So it's kind of like how properties have a manager that lives on site as far as apartments go, mm-hmm. I think. Just watch. Somebody who knows this shit is going to p- speak to me. I know we have, like, one police officer, I think, that listens to our <laughs> podcast. <laughs> He's going to, like, message me and be like, you're an idiot. Yeah, well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm not. I've, I'm ve- I've been very open about the fact that I'm pretty uneducated about most things. <laughs> But the things you are educated on, you know so much about. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you for making me feel somewhat intelligent. You're welcome. (laughs) So once once completed, this part of the prison was open for business, I guess. (laughs) During... That's... Yeah, prison's a business. It is a multi-billion dollar business, but we won't get into that. (laughs) (laughs) During its first year, the prison housed 251 male prisoners, some of which helped build the prison. In the early 1900s, a carpentry shop, paint shop, wagon shop, stone yard, blacksmith, brickyard, bakery, and a second hospital, as well as a tailor, were all added. That's fancy as fuck. I know, that's a lot, but I guess all all the inmates needed something to do. I don't know. Whatever. Well, yeah, they needed another another revenue stream, so <laughs> I had more jobs for the prisoners. With all of the labor coming from the inmates, the prison was pretty much self-sufficient, which saved the state about $14,000 just in the first year of being open. And that was $14,000 back then. So, I mean, that's like, what, quadruple, more than quadruple what they paid for the land. So that should tell you how much money that was, would have been. It's lots of pasta. Yeah, (laughs) lots and lots and lots. (laughs) I have no idea why I just said lots of pasta. It just came to my head and I liked it. Nope, that's a (laughs) t-shirt. Yay, lots of pasta. (laughs) I love pasta, you guys. (laughs) Me too. It's a problem, but whatever. It really, it's such a problem. (laughs) A delicious problem. (laughs) Excuse me. Stop yawning. You're supposed to be scared awake. I'm sorry. (laughs) During the 20th century, education was top priority. The inmates attended various classes after the completion of a school and a library in 1900. The warden believed educating the inmates would help with their reform, which I completely agree with. Same. Um, 
I mean, especially if they're in there for, like, petty crimes, lesser crimes. Yep. They should be doing something with their time. They should be being rehabilitated instead of forced into a system that just forces them to reoffend and then go back into prison. But we're not saying this is a cycle or anything. <laughs> What's a cycle? Like in the washing machine? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, everybody's just going to hate me. It's going to be great. It's fine. It's great. It's fine. <laughs> the conditions fine. were pretty good at this time. The prison warden stated the following of the first year of operation. Both of the quantity and the quality of all purchases of material, food, and clothing have been very gradually but steadily improved, while the discipline has become nearly perfect and the exaction of labor less stringent. Like many prisons during this time, conditions begin to deteriorate after the first year of being open. The facility would end up on the United States Department of Justice top 10 most violent correctional facilities list. There were rapes, fights, and gambling. There was also a rec room called the Sugar Shack. <laughs> Yikes. Which was called the Sugar Shack because that's most of the time where all of the rapes happened, which is just disgusting, but okay. Ew. Uh, yeah. Ew. Uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> I just, I don't have anything else to say. Just Ew. Mm-hmm. That that's really all you can say. <laughs> if anybody ever says "give me some sugar" ever again, they deserve to be in prison. I may burst into tears. <laughs> yes, I. Oh my god, I'm so glad Luke does not say that to me. I. Mm 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 mm. Nope. <sighs> Anyways, I'm in the south, so I hear it a lot. So yuck. <laughs> Ew. Uh, yep. <laughs> So, between April 13th and June 14th, 1919, Eugene V. Debs served time at the prison. Eugene was a labor activist who was serving charges of violating the Espionage Act of 1917, which is, was intended to prohibit interference with military operations or recruitment. Debs was called a traitor to his country by President Woodrow Wilson because of a speech he made in Canton, Ohio, urging resistance to the military draft. Debs was one of the founding members of the Workers of the World. Wow. So it's Workers of the World, but I put Workers of the Ford in my notes. Workers of the Ford? Yeah. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did they make the Ford Mustang from the Stockholm case? That's it. It was created at Moundsville. Case closed. <laughs> case is closed. We cracked it, guys. It was never a question, but we did it. <laughs> All right. He was also a five-time presidential candidate of the Socialist Party of America. He became one of the best-known socialists who ever live in the United States. Overcrowding at the prison eventually became a problem. To remedy this, the state decided to double the size of the prison. This phase was delayed because of a steel shortage during World War II. Were you just humming? No. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'm really excited to edit this and find out what that was about. I heard like, like, la, la, da, da, or like, hmm, hmm, <laughs> That just made my stomach hurt. Okay, sorry. Yay! And it was, it was definitely on your end. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yikes. Okay. The construction of this phase was completed in 1959. 36, ha 36 murders 
happened in this prison. So murders, yep. they're classifying. Did you just say something? I said, yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, we're stopping this right now and playing this back. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. So the murders were like inmate on inmate murder. That wasn't counting like any executions or anything like that. Like um, mm-hmm. guard murder or anything like that. Okay. So October 8th, 1929, R.D. Wall, which is an interesting name, or inmate number 44670, as he was so affectionately known, was butchered because of snitching on fellow inmates. (laughs) He was attacked by three other inmates with dull shivs while on the way to the boiler room. Which, dull shivs? That means it was twice as painful and twice as long, which is just... Yay! Yeah. Yay! (laughs) So... Fun fact, Charles Manson requested to be sent to this prison to be closer to his family in 1983, but his request was denied. And from what I saw, this was when he was sent to um, Trans-Allegheny. Okay. So that ties into a previous story. (laughs) Yay, we are tying up all the loose ends. (laughs) Yeah. But not in the creepy serial killer murderer way. Or are we? (laughs) anyway (laughs) they can't know oops oh god I'm so dumb okay (laughs) so on November 7th 1979 Ronald Turney Williams along with 14 other prisoners escaped so you heard that right 15 prisoners at one time escaped yep yeah Williams was serving time for the murder of Sergeant David David Lilly, who worked at the Beckley Police Department. Ronald stole a guard's gun and fled. The escapees were spotted by State Trooper Philip Kesner while on a night drive with his wife. Kesner pulled his car over and tried to stop the escapees. Then he was pulled from his car and shot by Williams. For 18 months, Yikes. William remained on the run. He would send notes to authorities and made it to the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. During his time on the run, he murdered John Buncheck during a robbery in Scottsdale, Arizona, and was ultimately apprehended after a shootout with federal agents at the George Washington Hotel in New York City in 1981. Then he was returned to Moundsville, where he still remains today. Hmm. Well, he would have remained today, but the prison is closed <laughs> um so is he just living in that prison unattended today or yeah so um plot twist there no, there's no hauntings it's actually just him oh yikes <laughs> which is just even creepier <laughs> but like also i would love to do that <laughs> uh, no <laughs> no it'll be like that episode of bob's burgers where for mother's day linda and bob start touring houses and then they end up going and touring this mansion on an island and the grandma is upstairs and trying to convince everybody the house is haunted i remember that episode vaguely but i do remember it I remember every episode so well that I actually have full episodes as dreams. Oh, so. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 a good time. Is that like a lucid thing or just regular no. dreams? It's just I go to sleep and sometimes I watch Bob's Burgers while I'm sleeping, I guess. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. 
And that's while the TV's off. I'm not hearing the sounds spawning the dreams. So you watch a lot of TV. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I just happen to love Bob's Burgers. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> so January 1st, 1986, the prison made history. As if it didn't make history with the 15 escapees. But anyway. Nah, that's that's not even newsworthy. <laughs> Over time, most of the locks on the cells had been picked, leaving the inmates to roam as they pleased. There was over 2,000 inmates at this time, which aided in the spread of various diseases. Because it was a holiday, many of the guards had called off for the, wor- for the day from work. At around 5.30 p.m., a group of at least 20 inmates who called themselves the Avengers, which I'm very well aware that that is actually a motorcycle club within prisons, so please don't mention that. This was before the motorcycle club. (laughs) So they called themselves the Avengers, and they ended up storming the mess hall. Within seconds, food workers and Captain Glassock were slammed to the floor with knives to their throats and handcuffed. This sparked a two-day riot. The prisoner, yeah, the prisoners demanded to meet with the governor, who was Arch Moore Jr. at the time. This was granted. During the meeting, they discussed a lot of new rules and standards, which the governor actually agreed to. So these things were kind of like um, better food, more beds, um, more rec time, which if their locks were picked, I don't really see why they would need more rec time. But anyway... <laughs> Just things to better improve conditions overall, I guess. Okay. Which I think may have inspired the Orange is the New Black episode with the riot, but I don't know. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Between 1899 and 1959, at least 94 men were executed on prison grounds. Most were hung until June 19, 1931, where Frank Heyer was decapitated in front of an audience. So they put the noose around his neck, they, like, hit the latch for the door, and the rope snatched down with such force it popped his head clean off. That sounds like a good time. Yeah. So after that, Old Sparky was utilized. <laughs> Old Sparky was the electric chair that was built by a prisoner named Paul Glenn. Nine men met their demise in Old Sparky until West Virginia prohibited capital punishment in 1965. The electric chair can be seen today while taking a tour of the prison. And people, like, take pictures in this chair, and I just cannot, like, mm I would be <laughs> scared shitless to sit in that chair. Uh, same. <laughs> During its 119 years serving as a prison, almost 1,000 men died within the walls. Others were tortured with devices invented on the property. One of these devices was called the Kicking Jenny. I have no idea why it's called this, and maybe you can tell me why after I tell you the description. Okay. (laughs) So this device was in the shape of a quarter circle. The highest end was about four foot above the platform. The prisoner would be completely nude, bent over the device with his feet tied to the floor, while his hands were tied onto small blocks stretched to the upper end of the device. There was so much Mm. tension that with a slight pull, the prisoner could be torn completely in half, and this happened at least once. While being stretched, the prisoner would then be whipped with thick leather straps. Another device they used to torture the prisoners was called the shoe fly. (laughs) 
Hmm. This was basically stocks, but the opposite. So the prisoner's feet would be placed in with their hands tied above their head. After being trapped in this device, the prisoner would be sprayed in the face with a high-powered water hose. Many of these men were rapists and violent murders. It's no wonder that their tortured souls still wander the halls today. Um, nah, that's not how you get ghosts. Nah, not at all. <laughs> but yeah, um... I mean, I would come back if I died by being sprayed in the face with water. Like, that's one of my biggest fears. Being sprayed in the face with water? Like, ha- like experiencing, like, drowning because of very pressurized water or drowning okay. in general. Okay. That, I was like, wait, being sprayed in the face with water is your fear? No, like a fire hose to the face. Yeah, no, that I understand 100%. <laughs> it was just, I was picturing the spray bottle. <laughs> Oh, God. I was like, that's an interesting phobia, Katie. Are you a cat? No. (laughs) In the 1930s, there were many times when guards would set off alarms to let other guards into their areas, thinking there was an inmate wandering around a maintenance area which prisoners were not allowed to enter. Upon investigating, there was no one in the maintenance area, and all prisoners were accounted for. Hmm. The prison is rumored to be built on an ancient Native American burial ground. The prison was built across from the Grave Creek Mound, which is one of the largest burial mounds in the United States. Many believe that the negative energy that ultimately came from distributing the remains of Native Americans has fueled many paranormal events that have occurred on the prison grounds, which... (laughs) The Sugar Shack has become a well-known hotspot for paranormal investigations. There have been Wow, a- I wonder why. <laughs> right? <laughs> there have been reports of unseen people yelling, arguing, talking, and, of course, whispering. Mm. Other visitors have mentioned cold spots and random dragging noises. Um, there was a personal account that said... There was a group of people who were doing an overnight investigation and they sent two people into the sugar shack and everyone else like went to the opposite end of the prison. Why? Why would you do that? I don't know. Safety in numbers, guys. Let's split up, Scoob. Yeah. No. (laughs) It's just... (sighs) But apparently these people that were left in the sugar shack couldn't last more than three minutes in there because they began hearing dragging noises and feeling hot breath on their neck, which is super weird to me because if you normally any accounts of feeling breathing on your neck in like a paranormal situation, it's always like icy air. So hot air on the back of your neck really freaks me the fuck out. It almost, and this is going to get really dark, you guys, it almost makes me wonder if those dragging noises are from, like, reenactment. You know how the ghosts sometimes, spirits sometimes, like, reenact their last moments? Yeah, that's kind of what I what was if, too. But what if it's the last moments of women who were knocked unconscious and then taken advantage of? Oh, no. This was never male-on-female sexual assault. Oh, God. It okay. It was always male-on-male. Okay. Male. I mean, it's still horrifying, but... Yeah. I hate all of it. Mm-hmm. There were only, like, a handful of female prisoners ever put there just because it was such a dangerous prison. So they had... I think they experimented, like, the first year, and they had maybe 12 female in prison 
female inmates and prisoners. Oh my goodness. Um, and they were just like, yeah, this is not going to work out. <laughs> yeah. So there's a former maintenance man that is said to haunt the entire basement area. He is said to have spied on prisoners and report any misbehavior to guards. He was stabbed several times and left to die in the basement bathroom. He's said to be the source of any equipment malfunctions within the prison. And apparently this happens very, very often. Like anytime there is a paranormal investigation team there, they will have serious equipment malfunctions with their personal equipment and like lights will fuck up and not be able to turn on or off. Boilers will turn up so it'll get really, really hot or they'll just go completely out so it gets really, really cold. So that's fun. It's totally weird that your story and my last spooky story had malfunctioning electronics. I don't. That's it's a common. It's so thing. rare. <laughs> <laughs> so the ground's oldest structure, the North Wagon Gate, houses one of the most active ghosts found within the walls. In 1938, a man by the name of Orville Adkins was hung here when the building housed the gallows. There have been reports of footsteps in this area, as well as heavy air and a feeling of an evil presence. Um, And I don't know if you recall when I did Trans-Allegheny, but the female ghost that you could see hanging from the ceiling and feel their feet on your arm, same Mm -hmm. thing happens here. Cute. Uh, apparently, some people have felt drips on their arm and looked up and seen bodies hanging. There have been other people who have felt like a brush of something, look up and see a body hanging. I don't want to experience any of that. <laughs> I hate that so much. Yeah. Several photographic anomalies, equipment malfunctions, and the sound of slamming doors can be heard even in areas where there are no people. Um, the slamming of the doors is the most commonly recorded EVP here. Um, and normally, from what I saw, if you're standing on like a, a prison block and let's say you're in cell, I don't know, 126, it'll happen in like cell... 130 so it's like right down from you so if you have lights you can see and hear the door slam which is just so much worse than just hearing it hmm. yeah 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 <laughs> yep. in a man named red cell people have been shoved slapped and even thrown into the cell door red was imprisoned after murdering and dismembering his parents cute look (laughs) yeah and there have been reports of this is just disgusting but people feeling like their limbs are being tugged on which really freaks me out (laughs) (laughs) yeah in solitary confinement male visitors have reported feeling cold spots female visitors have reported feeling cold hands on the small of their backs on their butts as well as soft tugging soft tugging on their hair (laughs) Yeah. Death Row, obviously, is also a hot spot, an entity referred to as the Shadow Man, who has no visible features, can be seen sulking down hallways, and has even been known to chase visitors down corridors. Yuck. Yikes. (laughs) 
In the front entrance of the prison, there is a round cage that would turn as new inmates entered. There have been several reports of this cage turning on its own, and even a few EVPs have caught recorded screams coming from this cage. You can take a small tour of the prison during the day or even overnight. You can always sit in one of the locked cells that are 5 by 7 just like one of the previous prisoners. They have had several people who served time in this prison go back and take like their children their grandchildren to show them where they used to be locked up which i think is just a weird family bonding moment yeah that's what i said too (laughs) but i mean i guess if you have like that rowdy teenager in your life you could take them there and say all right this is what happened to me if you don't stop acting crazy it could happen to you too (laughs) I mean, fair. Yeah, that's that's one way to do it. But if it's like a let's go on a picnic kind of situation, I don't know. Yeah, and that's most of the things I read. Apparently, it's like a grandfather taking his grandchildren and being like, this is where I spent 1836 to 1854. No, Grandpa. No. Oh, my gosh. So you could take a tour of the prison. You could sit in one of the locked cells. You can also sit in solitary as well as in old Sparky, which no thanks. No, thank you very much. You can also, which this may be my favorite, you can also take pictures at the gallows with a noose around your neck. Hmm. No thanks. Yeah, fuck you. No. (laughs) Absolutely not. So. Oh, Would you go on an overnight tour of this prison? If I were alone, not a chance. (laughs) If we could bring the, if I were with you and maybe Dominique and we could bring the sacrificial boyfriends. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think a large (laughs) group, I would be okay, but I would never want to separate. Um, No, separating is the dumbest thing you can do. It is in every horror movie ever. No. And I also think touring it during the daytime That'd be more fun for me. (laughs) And then going back at night, if we did overnight, would be better because then we could be kind of familiar. Yeah, know know your exit plan. (laughs) Yeah, no, I need to know how to get the fuck out if I need to. (laughs) 100%. But yeah, that was the Moundsville Penitentiary. Well, I hated it, but you did a great job. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) You're welcome. It was so thorough. Uh, well, Katie, what were your CTKs this week? Well, today I decided to start deep cleaning my entire house. And while doing that, I took down all of my curtains to wash them. And I had Stuart switching, like, the curtains so he would take them out, hang them up to dry, and then put new ones in. And my my washing machine broke. So... Yeah. Maybe your old neighbor... Maybe your old neighbor came and took it. Or he, like, he did something to it. Yeah, Stuart made that (laughs) joke, too. He was like, what if the creepy neighbor came by and, like, fucked with a very small part in the washing machine... And was weirdly thinking that you knew he fixed washing machines, so maybe you would contact him. I was like, that's not funny at all. That's 
<laughs> that's like even darker than I made it, and that's yeah. horrifying. Yeah, but that's the vibes you'd get from this guy. <laughs> I believe it. But yeah. Gross. So my washing machine um is not cooperating. Um, I also started a new medication and it's making me stumble over my words, which I've never experienced, um, from a medication before. I normally do just fine at that on my own, (laughs) but it's a lot worse now. And it's so much fun because I, part of my job is answering the phone at work for customers. So that's always great. And you also speak on a podcast. Yeah, that's definitely the worst part. Because at least I'm only talking to the customers for like two minutes. (sighs) I don't have that many chances to fuck it up. But an hour long recording. Yeah. (laughs) It's fine. It makes it fun for us. (laughs) Yeah, I don't feel too confident about it, but it's fine. It's okay. Hey, I stumble over my words and I don't even have medication as an excuse, so you're golden. <laughs> All <sighs> right. Yeah, so, I mean, I just, eh, hopefully I'll get out of the funk I've been in for the past few weeks. Um, I do feel a little better than I have, so hopefully that will tr- also translate on the podcast. Um, I'm not going anywhere, guys. I've just been in a, a really funky mood for a little while. Uh, but anyway, what are your CTKs? Well, firstly, can I just say, you're sounding a lot more enthusiastic and beautiful, and it's so fun having you here. <laughs> and I say this like you're a guest. <laughs> But, yeah, no, you sound great. So, hopefully, you're going to feel great soon. Thanks. Hopefully. <laughs> um, mine this week are is still a million degrees outside. Um, there are fires all around us. We have more fires in a day than there are days in a year. Um, Yikes. Last time I checked, there were 367 fires in California. Jesus Christ. Yes, uh, there aren't currently, or I haven't yet been affected by a power outage, so that's knock on wood. Uh, Yeah, so that's been fun. Uh, But I finally, so I got some plants in my room, which makes me really happy. Um, Because we have cats, and they can't really have plants, but I finally decided I was going to get some hanging ones. Mm Mm-hmm. And it looks super cute, and that's fun. We also did our first successful live yesterday with help from a friend, so thank you for that. Mm -hmm. That was fun. (laughs) Yeah, that was really fun. We actually came up, so we came up with something really fun in it. We're going to do, my boyfriend says some really bizarre shit. (laughs) Um. So we're going to start something called, that's hashtag shit Luke says. Yep. And I actually already have one. Yay. (laughs) So today we went to Walmart because I had to replace something that I got for Katie for her birthday. And I also needed some spray paint. So while I was there, I found like a sleep shirt, but I got one big enough to be like more like a dress. (laughs) So he saw me in it. And here's what he had to say, which is just the most ridiculous You are so cute in that dress thing. Like, so cute. 
I seriously just want to shrink you down to like six inches tall, soak you in hot wax and then hot oil, and light you on fire as an effigy while I pull apart rabbits above my head and howl at the moon in a ritualistic worship of your beauty. That's love. That was poetic as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. So he said that to me. And then I asked him to text it to me because I was in the middle of doing something to set up for a recording today. And so then he says, now see, when I type it out, it sounds weird. When I say it out loud in the moment, it's romantic. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this hashtag what Luke says. What if people start using my phrases? Gasp. I have to protect my intellectual property. <laughs> he is my favorite person on the planet. <laughs> I mean, I feel personally offended by that, Katie, because I should be, but fine. <laughs> okay, he's my favorite male on the planet. How's that? I mean, I think Stuart might be offended now, but... He's fine. He's not my favorite right now. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so that's a thing. So now we're going to do hashtag shit Luke says, and hopefully I'll have something ridiculous for each episode because there is no end in sight for the ridiculous things that come out of that boy's mouth. (sighs) Which is why I just know our boyfriends will get along so well. Yay, I can't wait until the day we can finally meet in person and they can go fuck off somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I say this in the most loving way possible, you guys. I do love my boyfriend. Same, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I spend... He's, like, the only person I've seen since March, you guys. The fact that I haven't killed him proves it's love. I was about to say that is uh that's definitely a test for love. <laughs> <sighs> Truly. Um other than that, the oh, so I got a gift from a friend I made through the podcast today. So Nikki sent me a mug from it's one of her first from her podcast and you guys heard her demo in last week's episode. So she does the Page Turners and Button Mashers podcast. So if you like books and video games go listen it's really good you don't even have to read the book to listen to the podcast because she gives you like a really thorough run through of it and it's really fun nice yeah um um, 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 um. yeah oh i also have an ant infestation and some of them got into fred um my chameleon friend obviously not a live one (laughs) But, yeah, so that was really fun, and there are just ants everywhere. There are currently, like, a million in my closet because, again, it's really fucking hot outside, so they're just finding their way in, and I hate everything. So That's really rude. (laughs) (laughs) It is, but that's where I'm at. (laughs) Anyways, guys, if you like what we do or you just like hearing us complain about things or not complain about things or you like or you enjoy picturing me sitting in a hundred degree closet um you can support us on patreon <laughs> at www.patreon.com slash ctkpod we do lots of fun stuff there we'll be uploading a recording of our most recent live here pretty soon i have to edit that and i've never video edited before so that should be fun to figure out um (laughs) yeah because there's like an hour and a half of us just not knowing what the fuck we're doing so yeah that was fun (laughs) it was really fun you guys
guys. You can also find us on Instagram or Twitter at CTKPod. You can join our awesome Facebook group at CTK Podcast. You can also send us any listener stories, which we desperately need. You can yes. send us suggestions for upcoming episodes. We are always open to hearing those. You can send all of that to chills, thrills, and kills at gmail.com. And you can send us mail. That address will be in our show notes. It will be on our Facebook group. It'll be on our Facebook page. It'll also be on our Twitter. I think it's on our Instagram, but I'm not certain. Um, Otherwise, it is 520 North Ventu Park Road, number 273, Newberry Park, California, 91320. So send us stuff. Yeah, even if it's just letters. Like, you don't have to send us gifts if you just want to send us a letter, everybody loves a handwritten letter. You can send us whatever you want. I mean, not whatever you want. Uh, don't send us. Please don't send creepy. us fingers. Yeah. Nothing that has <laughs> formerly been alive, please. Unless it's a specimen for Rebecca and no human yes. specimens. <laughs> no human specimens unless they were illegally sourced and you have paper documented proof of that because that'd be kind of cool. But <laughs> I'm really into spooky shit, you guys. Um, also, no haunted dolls, okay? No haunted anything. Nothing. Yeah, we have enough. We have enough. <laughs> yeah. You can send us stuff to help remedy our haunts, though. <laughs> Only if you knew what you were doing when you were putting it together. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, until next time. Bye. Bye.